Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000-square-foot showroom is Court-certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. All right, hello and welcome to what, as far as I know, is the first ever Streaking the Lawn podcast. Can you guys confirm that for me? Yeah, I think so. All right, well, (laughs) my name is Pierce. Uh, Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Hi, it's uh, Caroline Darney here with you guys today, and... Paul Wiley. All right. All right, well, thanks thanks for joining me this evening. We're here actually to do it for the first ever Streak in the Line podcast. We're only going to talk about lacrosse, naturally. (laughs) Of course. Obviously. But we're excited because the lacrosse team is about to start their NCAA tourney uh, this weekend. But I think the thing to do is really review this season. It's been a weird season, wouldn't you guys say? Yeah, definitely definitely say that um it was a weird season going in because there's a lot of personnel turnover and like naturally you expect to see some personnel turnover with graduations and all that but we also had um departure of greg densegli on defense who transferred to maryland so i mean go Mm -hmm. figure there that was kind of a um out of left field um and then on top of that losing a couple players to injury either preseason and the case of all-american tanner scales or six games in uh, in the case of James Pinnell, who went down with a knee injury, was out for the mm-hmm. season. So kind of didn't see the same team that you thought you might have been seeing coming into the season. Um, and because of that, Coach Sarja and uh, Coach Van Arsdale and Coach Little Sarja on defense were looking to um, fill in some holes. Absolutely. I mean, I think the roster's been completely ravaged, especially on the attacking end by injuries. Yeah, guys have had to slide into roles that they they weren't expected to play at the beginning of the year. Whether it's, you know, a guy st- stepping into more of a a scoring role when he was supposed to be more of perhaps an assisting role, or even you know a guy like Kaholin moving from midfield to attack, you've got a completely different look on the offensive side of the field than mm-hmm. what we were sort of counting on or, or thinking of early in the year, uh, and certainly going into the year too. What's kind of well, cool to see is, um, sorry, with, with Owen Van Arsdale, um, I think might have been, not maybe not what people were expecting last season. Uh, a lot of people won't realize is that Owen was playing the X role or the assist role, the point man behind the cage last year for a lot. Or that was his primary role, but that's not mm-hmm. his natural role. His natural role is what, um, what Mark Cochran was playing last year. You know, obviously Mark Cochran, Canadian guy, great scorer, uh, lefty that shot from the side there. Mark Cochran graduating 
um, Owen Van Arzo was able to slide into his more natural position. And because of that, he's got 24 goals and 14 assists and he's shooting close to 40%, which is significantly better than he did last year. And that allowed mm-hmm. second year Ryan Lukovic, who's kind of heralded as like the next big assist guy. And we can kind of later get into some steel stamp comparisons that I like to do with Ryan. Um, <laughs> but he was able to come over 20 goals, 26 assists, 46 points. I don't think too many people would have thought that, uh, both of those guys would have been that comfortable. And as, um, as Paul had said, my, one of my favorite stories, uh, this season, Greg Koholin has just been phenomenal. Um, yeah. and he would do anything that anyone would ask him to on the attacking end there, whether midfielder or attack, you know, staying on the offensive end. And Paul, you, you wrote the, uh, preview <laughs> for this season, right? In February. Yes. Uh, and, and as Caroline and I were talking about this earlier today, that, uh, sort of our two roles that, that, she plays keyboard cat and I play grumpy cat that she makes everybody <laughs> smile and laugh. And then I come in and scowl at everybody and tell them why it's raining and, and terrible. Um, <laughs> in my season preview, I had the, who's going six and seven um, before Ooh. anything uh, played out in Philadelphia. So I, I am the first to admit that that was not uh, accurate uh, <laughs> that I was perhaps too harsh on these guys. Um Unfortunately, my prediction of zero and four in the ACC uh, came to yeah. fruition. Um, yeah, but outside, and we'll talk a little bit more about sort of what what was the the reasons for for that. But out of conference, UVA didn't drop a game. Um, and when you're playing in the toughest conference in any sport potentially ever, um, mm-hmm. you know it's it's like the sec West from, from last year for football only begins to compare to a team that all a conference in which all five teams are in the top seven seed lines in the NCAA. Right. For those who are listening, you might not be the, um, you know, lacrosse diehards that we are. I think, you know, it's, it's common knowledge that the ACC is the best team in lacrosse or the best conference in lacrosse, but you might not recognize how ridiculous it actually is that <laughs> UVA is essentially the fifth or sixth best team in the conference and is seventh in the country. <laughs> I mean, yeah, which right. is yeah. just an absurd thing with to have Duke, Carolina, uh, Notre Dame, and Syracuse be be higher, but then to have no one else be higher than you. It, it, it'd be like if the SEC West, when they were those football powerhouses, uh, all stacked together, but there were only other 10 other teams in all of college football or D1 right. college right. football. No, I mean, yeah. it's, it's like if Auburn, Alabama, LSU, and Texas A&M played in the college football playoff. I mean, it's it's almost right. yeah Yeah. It, it's absurd, and it's almost like, you know, you say the SEC West, but it almost doesn't do it justice. It's like the SEC West combined with the prowess of the top half of the ACC basketball mm-hmm. last year like it, it's just mm-hmm. unbelievably strong and you've got you know guys that just you know all americans the all acc team had one uva guy on it and that was mm-hmm. matt barrett and and i'm not saying and, you know this is one of my beefs with about greg holland but greg holland had better numbers than a lot of the guys in the acc um but there's just so many guys that you're kind of like who do you mm-hmm. pick out of this group of people that mm-hmm. it's just so deep and so when they play when they played the season, um, you know, Syracuse got out to a fast start on him and that's a big face off, uh, thing that they had, they, that we struggled with. And Paul and I've talked mm-hmm. about this repeatedly. 
um, when you struggle to face off, you can't give teams like Syracuse, Notre Dame, Carolina, Duke, any more possessions than they already are going to earn on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you get down big, I think it was eight to two at halftime to Syracuse. That's tough. You know, and especially when they got a guy like Ben Williams, who's the faceoff X, who's just been incredible. But, you mm-hmm. know, same thing happened against Notre Dame. And in both of those games, Syracuse and Notre Dame, Virginia made a great comeback in the second half. But it was a big, mm-hmm. you know, the typical too little too late. But right. um, it'll be interesting to see how the, how they deal with some of that stuff if they're able to progress in the postseason because they've got if they get past, you know, Hopkins in their first draw, then they're looking at UNC and then possibly Syracuse again. So it's. Right. no rest for the weary um, when it comes to that kind of thing. Would you say in in the non-conference, Hopkins, certainly Cornell, certainly would be more the the more impressive non-conference wins they had? Yeah, I mean, certainly Cornell and Hopkins are two of the blue bloods of of college lacrosse. Hopkins, uh, you know, pretty much from the beginning of, of the playing of collegiate lacrosse has been uh, the premier or certainly among the premier programs in the country. Uh, and mm-hmm. Cornell recently has been, you know, virtually unstoppable that coming into the season, it looked like they were going to have three first team all Americans, you know, one on defense, one on midfield and one on attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a, you know, a, a freshman goalie who last year had a 54% save percentage that was coming back. So, you know, Cornell is, is certainly a team that you can hang a tank, hang your hat on for an out of conference win. Um, that's not to take anything away from teams like, uh, like Richmond or, or like Loyola, uh, you know, playing mm-hmm. Loyola, Maryland, they were the defending, they were, you know, one of the best teams in the country last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Richmond just down the road is, is up and coming quickly, you know, a couple of years ago, Absolutely. you know, they're a tough you know, last team, man. year. Right. Yeah. They're, That's, they're a tough out. Yeah. It's, you know, um, it's not like playing BMI, uh, you know, <laughs> not, Aww. not to name <laughs> but naming names um so yeah it's you know the when you're playing in the acc as we've just talked about you're not going to really load up your out of conference schedule otherwise you're playing murderers row all season um but you know definitely you know getting a win against cornell getting a good solid win on the road at Rutgers. there's definitely some um you know when you look at the teams that are generally sort of the caliber of yield in the ncaa tournament virginia's done really really well against them the question mark start to be when you look at the elite teams in college lacrosse, which is also happen to be the ACC teams. That's where the problem's been this year. Absolutely. Do you think there was a noticeable difference um, in how UVA performed against those better out of conference teams? Is there a reason we won those games and, and didn't win the conference games? Or is it just the fact that the ACC teams are that much better than the other teams? So um, it was stiffer competition. Well, it's interesting. Like, um, with the Cornell game, I don't think the 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 score correctly de- um, depicts what that game was like. Virginia dominated that game, and if not for a mm-hmm. probably five five minute stretch in the fourth quarter, late it got a little dicey. Then I'm not gonna lie, you know, you, you know, fans on the edge of their seats, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But Cornell scored, I think, five or six straight to make it 15-14, and then a Michael Howard crucial ground ball on a face off. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, they, they controlled the game. I mean, dominated Cornell for the first three, three plus quarters. Right. Um, so, I mean, that's something you should kind of put, put the hairs above your back, your neck a little bit. If you're going to, you can't give up runs like that. And I think that was something that the team did last year a lot. Um, and mm-hmm. then with those ACC games, um, specifically Syracuse and Notre Dame, they gave up 
runs early, like right. just couldn't get possession. Yep. Um, and that's something that you cannot do against that kind of team. Um, with Carolina, that was a weird game to me. Um, the, the offense just wasn't clicking. There were a lot of turnovers. Yeah. That's where the youth and inexperience kind of started to show up. And that was the biggest thing that I think this team was dealing with. We talked a little bit about the injuries, but you've got a lot of either young guys um, when it comes to the defense or first-time starters. So maybe their second year, some are a third year, or in the case of Davi Sacco, guys, a fourth year walk on turn starter, you know, he hasn't, you know, he'd played, I think 12 games combined the first three years mm. and angering the defense. He's the senior guy, you know? So right. it, sometimes that stuff's going to catch up to you when you're playing teams like North Carolina and especially Duke that have that kind of more seniority and guys like miles Jones that are just monsters. Right. Well, And that was, that was kind of the weird thing is that the team played at the end of the season, sort of how you would ex- have expected a young team to have played at the beginning of the season that, yeah. I mean, the, you know, the Syracuse game is the fourth game of the year. That was the first one that sort of showed the chinks in the armor. Um, mm-hmm. And then for the rest, you know, up and up until the Carolina Duke games, they only lost one out of their next six. So, you know, and then all of a sudden it's a six goal performance against North Carolina. That was absolutely miserable to sit through and an eight goal performance at Duke. That was just absolutely miserable to watch on TV. That just the ball was getting stuck in the sticks. It just wasn't popping around. Nobody was getting open. And you know, like Caroline said, the offense didn't click and seemed like a wholly different team than the one that had played the previous month or so of lacrosse. Yeah, that UNC yeah, game it, was not fun to sit through. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just so many turnovers, you know, and like you were saying, it's sloppy play and you would expect that early on. But for especially for a team with a ten and four record, you would think, Okay, well, by the end of the season they had it together. <laughs> the, the competition stepped up. I mean, that's really all you can say is how how nasty the ACC is in lacrosse. Yeah. Uh do you and let's see the one oh, thing yeah, too that ahead, I, yeah. I've yeah, sorry. One of the things I think that's important too, and this sounds like such a cop out moral victory thing, but <laughs> with a team like this that had, um, you know, kind of tempered expectations to put it in a nice way, because you know they're, they the players know what they've got at the beginning, and you know, it, and so they never quit. Like all mm. of those games, Cornell game, Notre Dame game. And like I said, the second halves, like the Notre Dame game was 11 and nine. And you better believe that they were sweating at the end of that thing. That Notre right, Dame was right. kind of like, Ooh, okay. If that game had been maybe five minutes longer, we might be talking and singing a different tune right now. Right. And, right. you know, but it's not, it's 60 minutes, you know, but, um, you know, in the Hopkins game, they rattled off two goals in 90 seconds to tie that thing up when body language of Hopkins at Hopkins is saying, Oh, we got this in the bag, right, you know, right. pump, that was huge. You know, pump in the chest. Yeah. And, and never quit. And that was, you know, I like to call that one Tyler German's coming out party because that mm-hmm. kid was drilling shots, basically midfield. Like I don't, I'd never <laughs> seen him shoot like that before. And that was the midfield game. The midfield said like, Hey, we got this. And, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Georgetown and Penn games, I think were crucial for this team right now because Georgetown I think was a tournament team um mm-hmm. or had a very legitimate claim to be a, a tournament team you know when it comes down to Ohio State Brown Princeton and Georgetown two of those four are going to make it and right. you know Princeton and Georgetown didn't um but right. that's a, that was a solid win like they handled them that game and then Penn you hold a team that's D1 scoreless from the first goal until there's you know 
12 minutes left in the fourth quarter, that's a pretty good day. Yeah. Like you're clicking, yeah. like you're feeling it. <laughs> well, um, do you want to talk about the tournament itself, how they set that up? I know we put the bracket on the site. You can see UVA is a seven seed. Um, they, they, they seed the top eight teams and then go from there. Yeah. What so it's, uh, it's similar. Those? Yeah. It's, it's kind of similar to how they do with basketball. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they do their bracketology and it's May madness. Um, and so like you said, they, they seed the top eight teams and those eight teams are going to host the way that it's broken down. Um, there are 10 automatic qualifiers, um, just the same as it is for basketball. So you win your conference tournament and you go in, you know, automatic qualify for the, for the postseason, despite mm-hmm. your record, no matter what it is. Uh, there's mm-hmm. eight more at large, so up to 18 teams in the tournament. Those two playing games will end up playing the number one seed, Notre Dame, or the number two seed, uh, Syracuse, again, ACC. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to have, so there's a couple of weird caveats. You have to have six teams in, order, in your conference to qualify for a, a tournament automatic qualifier. So the ACC actually had one this year, despite only having five teams, um, because of the Maryland defection to the Big Ten. So if you get an AQ, you have it for at least two years. So it's kind of a weird. Um, so Syracuse hmm. won the ACC tournament, gained the ACC automatic qualifier, um, which a lot of people thought would have put Syracuse in the number one spot, including myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so some people were surprised with with Notre Dame going to the one spot. The, uh, the committee this season definitely did two things that they were consistent with. So that's good. You know, if you're going to do something, be consistent with it. Um, they valued head to head greatly and they mm-hmm. um, did not really, they didn't really, really care about rematches. So there's three rematches, um, Albany, uh, Cornell with Cornell hosting as the eight seed, Maryland, Yale, Maryland hosting as the six seed. And then Virginia Hopkins with Virginia hosting as the seven seed. Right. All rematches from the regular season. So does that bother you? Yeah. Um, mostly because as there's sort of a lacrosse purist historical perspective that you just don't want to see Virginia and Hopkins playing each other the first weekend because that means both of them can't be playing the last weekend. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think, frankly, with, with Hopkins' body of work this year, that's about the seed line they deserved. Um, and mm-hmm. as much sort of weird distance manipulation as they had to do for other parts of the tournament. You know, you've got three or four teams from upstate New York, but then you've also got Denver. Um, and so somebody has got to do the Denver track and you've got to minimize travel elsewhere. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it makes sense just Baltimore to Charlottesville. That's a, that's a quick, easy game. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, it's, it's always tough to play a team in a knockout situation that you've already played once in the year. Um, that, you know, and when it's a team like Hopkins, that these are programs and teams that are going to know each other, not just because they've played once already this year, but because they've probably, these guys have been playing against each other. Some of them probably since middle school. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I, it's the kind of thing that, you you know, you look forward to seeing Hopkins. We want to keep the Doyle Smith Cup right here uh, in Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, it's a rightful uh, place. Yeah. Um, so it should be a good game. Um, and, uh, looking forward to, to seeing Virginia, hopefully get the offense in order and, and take care of some of the, uh, team defense lapses that, that hurt them late in the year against Carolina and Duke, especially. Yeah. It's, uh, 
I'm with I'm with Paul 100. It, it's the tournament's a time to see the teams that you never like the 2011 tournament. Like Bucknell, like that was fun. It's fun looking back mm-hmm. because Virginia won that game. But you know, it's it's a team that you know you never get to see Buck, you know Bucknell unless you do some like yeah. Mm-hmm some crazy scheduling and you get to see the, the Stony Brooks and the Drexels. And those are teams that honestly, I, I, I don't like to see the first round of the tournament because they're tricky. They're, you know, tricky teams, mm-hmm. but that's the nature of the tournament. It's kind of fun to see like a Yale um, or some of the Ivies that Virginia hasn't played in a while. Like Princeton used to be a regular, Virginia doesn't play them every season. So a couple years ago when they played them in the tournament, that was kind of a fun game because you renew a little bit of a rivalry. But it's not someone that you see every year. So I can see, again, the distance and why. And I think the committee kind of likes to do it where you're like, oh, it'll be fun for everybody. It's not really fun for everybody. But, (laughs) you know, like you could kind of see they did a Hopkins watch party and you could kind of see the guys looking around like, oh, sweet revenge time. Like you you can't Mm -hmm. tell me that they don't want to come down to Charlottesville and get revenge for that 16-15 overtime. You know, it was the same mm-hmm. thing last year. Koholin hit the game winner in overtime in Charlottesville. They came back to Charlottesville. First round is Virginia being the eight seed hosted Hopkins and Hopkins got the best of them that time. So you got to mm-hmm. you got to think that the guys this year are have that in the back of their head um, not yeah. to let that happen again. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you never, yeah, you never <laughs> want to play a team with a chip on its shoulder in a, you know, in an elimination game. Um, so while I'm you know not happy about you know, the, from the big picture perspective, and I'm sure, you know, Coach Starger might might say something along these lines too, that in terms of the growth of the sport, the growth of the game, the fact that there are enough other quality teams that it's not just Hopkins and Virginia and everybody else, you know, it, it, sort of, you know, Hopkins and Virginia and those sort of blue blood programs separating themselves out, that a team like you know, Denver is, is sneaking up into the, the top of the, the field that Albany is there in the top of the field. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's, you want to talk about expanding the sport and expanding the game into places that it hasn't necessarily been strong traditionally, whether that's from individual schools or whole areas of the country in the case of Denver, um, you know, that's, that's a good thing to sort of break it out of the long Island and mid Atlantic traditional foothold. Yeah, I've got a little bit of a sports crush on Albany, and I think anyone who's followed any <laughs> lacrosse in the last two years would feel the same way, just because of Lyle Thompson and then with you know Miles there last year too, just phenomenal players that are so. And you hear this phrase all the time: "Good for the game." It's good for the game, um, but just that kid does stuff with the stick that you just you would never. I think the Gate brothers would sit there and look at him and be like, "Wow, that kid's good." You know, like I, I mean, he's just <laughs> you, you, you. The Powells and the Gates will get. To, together and be like man i wish i could do some of that stuff now and it's you know exaggeration but but lyle thompson and it's so chill and cool and he's got the record and he had the record you know three games ago or something so he's still got games to play mm-hmm. and to build on that record and that's something that you know i think it was was it Pinnell or danowski that had it anyway guys that had some extra time or played more games right. at that point to get to get to that record he's already you know done those things i think it's it's incredible but um yeah, I was pretty glad that they didn't come down to Charlottesville. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> for sure. What are your uh, expectations for for the Who's first off in the tournament? Ooh. Championship? Keep, yeah, that's yeah. my expectation. Yeah, keep, keep I'll, I'll go first. Start? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go yeah, first. Uh, <laughs> I'll go first as you work. <laughs> anyway, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed covering this team this year, and 
season. Um, I, I don't say that every year, and it's not you know anything about the teams last the past couple of years, but um, it's this is really a I don't want to say ragtag in a mean way, but this is a ragtag group of guys. Like if you look at that starting defense, <laughs> scrappy, <laughs> scrappy, yeah, you know all the things that. And actually, Coach Sarja wouldn't didn't want anyone to call them young because he thinks it's kind of a cop out. He likes inexperienced, mm-hmm. and you know. Um, and that's kind of, you've got guys, like I said, I talked about Davi Sacco, who's just been a phenomenal player on defense and just stepped up when his number was called. And the kids got 22 cause turnovers in 14 games to put that in, you know, comparison, you've got guys like Scott McWilliams, who was an all American graduated last year. And Matt Lovejoy, who was an all American, um, graduated you know, in the, I think 2012 um, or mm-hmm. Bray Malferis, who's now a ranger and kicking ass. Like they had <laughs> 16, 16 and 17 cause turnovers respectively throughout the entire 2011 season. Right. But you've got a guy Davy who's got 22 and he's still hopefully got four games to play, you know? So um, right. if you, if someone before the season had said like, like, Oh yeah, I totally saw that coming. Like big old liar, you know, like I wouldn't have seen that coming <laughs> right. and I've watched, you know, in and outs of this team the whole time. And, uh, Michael Howard, uh, has been one of my favorites to watch. Um, second year long stick played some close defense and coaches said at some point, he's like, I'll put him anywhere. I just need that kid on the field. He's played wings mm-hmm. on faceoffs. He's played, like I said, close defense. He'll do anything that you mm-hmm. need and he'll do it well. And it's incredible. You know, he's got 15 cause turnovers for 48 ground balls. Like he, he leads the team, including the goalie, which is rare because usually the goalie has it or I think we can all know where that goes, but, um, (laughs) you know, like that's incredible that a kid, you know, can do that 48 ground balls, 15 cause turnovers. And he only has three and a half minutes of penalties. That's not too bad. Only four. So, well, those are some really impressive stats you've memorized there. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> stop dodging the question and tell me if they're going to win or not. Um, you know what? I'm going to go optimistic and think like if they get guys, uh, they've got the pieces with the shooting and the scoring that actually compare or exceed past where guys like Steel Stanwick and Chris Bocklet were at the same point in the 2011 season. And we saw how they did. So it would be definitely a, it would be a coup. Like it would be one of the big upsets and, you know, it it would throw people off, but I think they have the pieces and I think that this team has the heart to do it. So I'll say, you know, like, let's go optimistic. Yeah. 2015 national champs. Let's bring back (laughs) Charles. They're just going to run the table again. All right. But at the very least, at the very least, are they going to beat Hopkins Sunday? Uh, it will it will hinge on the midfield shooting. The Hopkins goalie struggles. Um, he's I think fifty eighth out of sixty two goalies in the country with like a four mid forty percent shooting or save percentage. It's not mm-hmm. great. Um, and you could see mm-hmm. that with the guys uh, in the first game when they won you know sixteen fifteen overtime. Tucker had five goals. Zed Williams had four. Tyler German had three. Koholin had two. Like you've got that's like midfield heavy scoring. So if they can light up and stay away from stick side high um, on Eric Schneider, I think that they've got a pretty solid chance because uh, they can temper mm-hmm. down um, defensively on some of those, those Hopkins shooters. So, yeah, I think they can do it. Yeah. So, well, uh, Paul, who's, who stood out to you this season? Uh, I think the two – I mean, obviously Matt Barrett. That's that's one that, you know, I, 
I came into lacrosse playing goal, uh, playing defense. My best friend was the goalie, and and seeing, knowing something about how goalies have to have their mindset. Um, and you can see that Barrett is just the right kind of crazy to be a lacrosse goalie. That um, <laughs> yeah. he'll stand, he'll stand on his head to make make saves right on his doorstep, and as soon as the ball's back of the other, you know, back into transition, back onto the other end of the field, he just sort of, you know, adjusts his chest protector, stands back in the cage, you know, says something to one or two of his defenders if he needs to, to make sure they're in better position the next time. But um, he's got a really sort of quiet, confident uh, leadership in, in, in between the pipes. And, you know, you look at a guy taking, are facing as many shots as he faced this year. He faced over 550 shots. Um, <laughs> it's he was basically a duck in a shooting gallery for 14 games. But we had yeah a scrappy defense and a defense that was learning on the fly, and he cleaned up a lot of mess behind them. So you know even though his his goals against number isn't that that flashy, you know his save percentage is is pretty strong. Um, but he is, he is well within shooting distance of, uh, Tillman Johnson's career save record at UVA. And when you're talking about putting some, a current goalie in the same breath as Tillman Johnson and saying it's a legitimate yeah. comparison, that's pretty lofty. Um, yeah. so he's if, got a legit, if, he's got a legit shot at winning goalie of the year. Uh, yeah. honestly, um, he's first in the ACC right now, which I think would put you first in the country. Exactly. But, um, and then on, you know, for all that the offense has struggled, the one guy that I think has shown, you know, Caroline's got her, her, uh, ax to grind about Kaholin getting, uh, jobbed by the all ACC selection team. Um, mm. but the guy that I have the most fun watching is Zed Williams, that he's yeah. got an incredibly easy sort of loping, you know, stride and pace to his play. And then all of a sudden he rips off a shot that looks like he's trying to hurt people. Um, he, is, <laughs> yeah. he, he shoots this thing from the hip that you can see the ball boys sort of scra- scramble for coverage. Um, but it, I'd like to see him get more aggressive. There seem to be times that he's willing to facilitate a teammate when really what he needs to do is get his big frame, big athletic frame moving past somebody so that he's either creating a shot for himself or creating a situation where the defense has to slide and cr- then create a, a really good opportunity for somebody else, as opposed to just, you know, sort of the distributing from, from farther out. So I'd, I'd really like to see Zed get a little bit more hard nosed. Um, but that's part of what I'm looking for this postseason. Yeah, I would apps. Of course, I'm going to be thrilled if we're the ones holding the trophy on Memorial day, that would be <laughs> absolutely fantastic. I'm not going to get on the internet and say, Oh, this is, this is bad for lacrosse that Virginia. You know, that's, that's not what I'm going to say, but um, I, I'm not quite as confident that this team is ready to go there this year. I still have big concerns about the face-off play. And I have some concerns about our ability to stop off ball, um, scoring chances for the other team, but yeah. I see this postseason it's it's almost bonus lacrosse. You know, you often talk about a young football team getting the benefit of extra bowl season practices to build for the next year. And when you look at what this team has coming back next year, a guy like Tanner Scales coming back from that injury, 
and stepping into a defensive unit that all of a sudden you've got these highly touted young recruits who've gotten a year of experience when they weren't really expected to. And you've got Matt Barrett coming back and you've got, you know, Williams and Ed Lukovic and all those guys coming back on the offensive end. You know, this is a team that the 2016 version of Virginia is going to be whatever happens over the next four weeks. The 2016 Cavaliers are going to be thought of as one of the best teams in the country uh, as one of the very best teams in the country to start out the year. And if they can take a big step toward understanding tournament lacrosse this year, uh, I think that's going to put them in an even better position to get back to where we all want and expect Virginia to be year in and year out. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they will beat Hopkins. Um, you know, they beat him a couple weeks ago or you know, a month or so ago in only the second game uh, after losing Pinnell. Uh, so it's an offensive unit that's had more time to gel. Uh, and while I think Hopkins desire for revenge will play a factor, I, I, I have a feeling we'll get past them. And then after that, in my mind, it's a little bit more of a crapshoot. But like I said, then I'm thinking of it as, as almost bonus lacrosse. Yeah, that's it. Paul makes a really, really good point about next year too. And, you know, Oh, wait till next year. But it, huh. he's, he's got an excellent, excellent point with that because of what they bring back. And it is bonus lacrosse. And I think, you know, as I said, I think they'll take, I, they've got a good shot taking Hopkins this week. Um, but to go further, they need somebody to do, or a couple people to do what the Nick O'Reilly did against Cornell with the four goals and right. what right. Colin Briggs did to Maryland with five goals in the final and what, you know, having guys like Mark Cochran and step up randomly on midfield so you're looking in that kind of picture i look at a kid like joe french i think has that kind of x factor weird potential that could be like a nick o'reilly that's going to shoot this you know 80 mile an hour behind the back shot and surprise everybody or run a fake ball trick you know hidden ball trick with his roommate zed williams um but yeah they would have to do something crazy and i think it would be just an epic, epic postseason. But uh, Paul's 100% correct. Like, the, the, this is a great chance for Coach Sarja to kind of. This experience is something that these guys like Scott Hooper and Logan Greco and Jack Falk on the defensive end will. This is invaluable experience, like, throughout the season that they got to start all those games and play all those games and now get a taste of postseason lacrosse that will take this team further for next year. Good stuff. Hopefully uh, they get past the Blue Jays at least. And as you said, go from there. Everything's bonus lacrosse. Uh, I think in order to win the improbable championship, you're looking at beating Hopkins, Syracuse, either Carolina or Maryland, and then probably Duke in the <laughs> final. So that would be quite the uh, 2015 to revenge tour. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd, I'll. I won't put money on us beating Duke and lacrosse until I see it happen <laughs> ever. <laughs> it's like Michigan State uh, and basketball. Too soon? Too soon? Right. Too soon. Oh, oh. Or Virginia Tech and football. Okay, great. Oh. Welcome to the oh. Bummer oh. Podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm going, with, um, I'm going with the Great Danes of Albany running the table uh we how about we lose to them in the final that'll be my grand prediction for the <laughs> tournament. <laughs> albany virginia final but the who's losing in a heartbreaker nobody's in philadelphia to see it <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely 
Well, uh, unless you guys have any parting thoughts on the team, I mean, I think people should be excited to to get out to Clockner Sunday, 1 p.m., correct? Exactly. Ah. Get out there, get out If there's uh, one way to make sure we beat Hopkins, it's make sure we've got as much of a home field advantage as we can, and, and Clockner gives us a great opportunity to do that. Tune out that Hopkins pep band. I don't want to hear that song, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's also on ESPNU if you can't make it. So yes. be sure to tune in, follow the boys. Hopefully they win and, and continue playing. But thanks for joining me, guys. Uh, we'll see you, I, I assume, next week where we'll talk about the big victory over <laughs> over Hopkins and maybe some other sports as well. I don't know. It depends what we feel like. But uh, say goodnight. Hey, good thanks, Pierce. Thanks, tune in. Yeah. Once upon a morning, there was a freshly brewed McCafe coffee. It was made with 100% Arabica beans, yet something was missing. Fear not, in the distance, a sausage McMuffin with egg rides toward the sunrise in quest for breakfast. The perfect pair met at McDonald's, and mornings were happy forever after. Right now, get a $1 small coffee and a $2 sausage McMuffin with egg from the $1-2-3 menu. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love. Like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-Mobile to learn more or visit a store today. 